0: Not in the woods this time, I tried to record this the second quarter of our little quartet of programs in the woods this morning but looking after salvo turned out to be a bit more of a handful so I have retreated to the confines of the garden, confined to quarters again to begin to think about the second of the four values that I had set out to think about. If you listen to the first episode, you'll know that I went for a walk in the woods and began to think about seasonality, the temporality, the phenology, if you like, of of the way nature unfolds and our relationship with nature. And I said then that in this sort of era of mechanized forestry, for example, our experience of the trees becomes removed, you're, you're set off at a remove, it's almost like a remote control forestry and the great uh, machines that they have, tree filling machines, can strip through them at an enormous rate and with the twitch of a finger and a thumb on a joystick, so there was a sort of a sense in which that remote control approach, that remove that we're at from nature, sets the scene for the great potential at any rate for destruction unless you build in some kind of a sustainability thereafter and I guess it's not just our approach to nature that, that this sort of distance affects. it can also be other people we can also set the scene for damaging other people so that brings us to the the idea of violence and non-violence I wanted to look at non-violence in this you know, quarter and I guess if if I am living well by dumping toxins elsewhere, if my enjoying of my nice garden here depends on dumping all my rubbish over the fence into the neighbour's garden, then my way of living is neither sustainable nor non-violent. There's more than one kind of violence. There's the violence of the blow, of the, the bullet, of the bomb, which is quite obvious, obviously shockingly so sometimes and there is also a slower, slowly unfolding violence that has a long duration rather like it unfolds over the seasons, rather like the seasons can unfold over a lifetime or indeed over generations if we think about the way we have been using up the Earth's resources for example effectively what we're doing is we're dumping our toxins onto future generations. We're dumping the damage into the future because we're so intent on living our lives the way we are right here and what's right here before us that we don't see either the effects that we're having at a distance here and now in the sense of the effects of people in the Global South or indeed on future generations here or or there and it's that kind of a sense of a remove and distance that I think sets the scene for that kind of the possibility of that kind of structural balance there's uh, a scene in the film the third man where the racketeer Harry Lyme takes Holly Martins up to the top of the ferris wheel and uh, Martin's just quizzing him about you know whether he feels any remorse for his victims. He says, "Have you ever seen any of your victims?" And Harry Lyme answers by telling him to look down, look away down below, and they look down and see the people are almost reduced to the status of dots. And Harry Lyme says, "Would you really feel any pity if one of those dots stopped moving forever?" And then he says, If I offered you £20,000 for every dot that stopped moving, would you really tell me to keep my money? And there's something about that, it's a rather powerful moment within the film, but I, I think it, it goes beyond the idea of racketeering and uh, the criminal kind of economy of that time, and I think resonates in terms of our whole. Global economic system that we have that dominates the global economy at the minute and the global and global politics. People tend to be reduced to the status of dots, distanced, made invisible. This, I suppose, isn't isn't a, a new development. I mean, I think in a sense it was kind of built into the the very beginning of the the market economy. If you go back and look at, at, at Adam Smith from the 18th century uh, sort of forefather of market economics he talks about the invisible hand there's a, a theme of invisibility already there he says if you, it's not from the benevolence of the brewer and the butcher and the baker that we get our dinner it's from each of them looking out for their own interests and the idea is that each of us only has responsibility to look out for our own interests in a market exchange i give you the money you give me the bread we both get what we want and we walk away and it works out for the best for both of us but there's someone missing from that scene as Catherine marcel points out in a book that i would recommend go and read which is entitled uh, who made adam smith dinner What she points out is that, for as long as she lived, Adam Smith's mother made Adam Smith's dinner. He would do his work during the day and come home and she would have made and presented him with his dinner. And yet she doesn't feature in his account of how he gets dinner, that the market exchange features. But the mother is written out of the picture. The mother and others, because the mother, the Adam Smith's mother, is one invisible woman. But there are innumerable invisible women and invisible others that don't get written into the general accounts of market economics. That don't aren't allowed to appear within the frame. If anybody's allowed to appear within the frame, it tends to be, in fact, it's exclusively as market participants namely as people who either are there to purchase or to sell and if you don't have the power to do either you're written out of the picture but that enforced invisibility is itself invisible within general accounts of that support the idea of the market this all sounds a little bit abstruse but again it goes back to that idea that there's more than one kind of violence but the two can come crashing together if you like so i I can't help but think of uh, rana plaza in bangladesh the factory that collapsed in 2013 it was over a thousand uh, people killed the people in that factory were sewing buttons and uh, you know zips and 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 so forth onto the clothes that would sell in our Markets in our high streets in the shops in our supermarkets etc but they were doing so in precarious conditions and I mean that metaphorically and, and literally the, the building that they were made to work in was unsafe and it came crashing down and uh, it's over a thousand actually over a thousand one hundred I forget the exact total a thousand one hundred and twenty something were killed and there's a sense in which, to me, the, the kind of the st- slowly unfolding structural violence and the, the bodily, immediate, shocking bodily violence violence came together in that moment. The the one the structural violence was revealed by the bodily violence of the collapse of that building. And in terms of my. Uh, this quarter this uh, principle that we're talking about in this program a politics of non-violence is not just about opposing the bomb and the bullet it's also about opposing that kind of slowly unfolding structural form of violence it's also about dismantling those structures that allow some to live well at the expense of others we need to address both kinds we need to it's not just about a, some kind of a pacifism that opposes war it's also about a dismantling of those structures. The concept of reducing people to the status of dots can you know that can be done in many different ways and one of them in the in terms of the setting of the sort of immediate warfare and, and so forth, is to reduce the other to the status of an enemy so that you're faced between us and them you are if there's many ways of doing this and over the centuries people have done it again in ways that allow us to draw those two types of violence together the, the structural and the bodily violence the immediate the bullet and the bomb because for example in the days of the british empire they thought of themselves as bringing Christianity, civilization and commerce and if, you're, if you think you're doing that you're appealing to the idea of civilization, you're appealing to the idea of God to justify your use of violence because you're saying I'm bringing these good things these good values and if I have to break a few eggs to make an omelette then I'm going to do so and you appeal to these external uh, values in order to justify your own violence I, it seems to me the, the the big breakthrough that philosophy non-violence brought in the 20th century was to say we've got to see not the other, not the heathen or the pagan or the, the barbarian as our enemy, but violence itself. So in other words we need to look not just to the violence that comes in towards us but the violence that emanates from our own side and we have to oppose both we can't just oppose the one if you only oppose the one if you only oppose the violence of your enemy then you don't really oppose violence at all you only oppose their violence so a thoroughgoing philosophy of non-violence would dismantle the structures of violence and dismantle those conceptual structures that reduce people to the status of dots, to the status of enemy, to the status of traitor and other ways of being able to disguise or throw a, a cloak of invisibility over your own violence. The principle of non-violence says we have to dismantle and oppose violence wherever we find it, whether it comes from our side or not. The principle of non-violence says you, you don't judge whether your act is violent or not by some external criteria but by the logic of violence and non-violence itself if there is any justification for an act of violence it has to be thought through the logic of non-violence if there's any justification for non-violence it is that my action is the least violent of all the actions available to me now that's got to be thought through quite carefully because there's a sense in which that's still will uh, make room to do justifiable violence because it's the least available, least violent of all the options available. But it's not for me to judge whether that that I've achieved that or not. I've got to try but I've then got to submit to a jury of my peers as it were for them to judge whether or not uh, my action is justified. You can't justify yourself in advance by taking on the mantle of you know God's word or uh, the upholding of civilization or, or any of these things. So that's the, to me the principle of nonviolence, and the, the final aim of the whole thing and the whole aim of all of our politics and in my view ought to be that we need to aim to learn to live together as nonviolently as possible for all our differences in this our own corner of the world, and on this our one and only planet. So next time I'll start to think about how this business about you know being judged by a uh, jury of my peers, as it were. Uh, you might realise that comes from the Magna Carta. So that's what we'll start to think about next time, the idea of equality.